So when we say the word gods, what do we mean? Today's lesson, I'll tell you what today's lesson is not going to be about. It's not going to be about proving the existence of God. Okay, it's not that. Um, that's a topic in itself and an interesting one, but that's not what the lesson is. Um, today's lesson is, when we say the word God, what do we mean? Think about it. Everybody say, God, this, God, that, believe in God, don't believe in God. What does it mean? What, what does the term actually mean? That's what it means for you. Good. So we have to know what it means. Um, and then we'll, we'll dissect it. And therefore, we'll be able to answer the question, is God real? What is reality, right? Which we spoke about in lesson one. It's a kind of a mirror of, of lesson one in, in many ways. We will go one level, and then we'll go a little deeper level, and then we'll go very deep level, which would seem to mean that God is disconnected from us. And then we'll get to the final level, which is even deeper, but because of that we will then see how actually God is intimately connected to us. Okay. So there was a, a, a class in school was asked uh, to make a picture of God. So one kid did a sunset, another one did a rainbow. Each child depicted something that they thought of God. One kid made a scale, like a bathroom scale. So the teacher asked them, what? Why do you make a bathroom scale? I says, because every time my mother goes on, she says, oh my God. Okay, um, so how do we understand the word God? So, weird what David said. Anyone else want to say something? What did, what did David say? We didn't hear Supreme being. Supreme being. Supreme being. Okay, anyone else? God the creator. The creator, very good. Father. Okay. Something, uh, something, uh, a supernatural creator, a supernatural creator that gets involved with his creation. Okay. Good. Almighty. Almighty. Okay. I'm the one that everything creates. Everything. Okay. Okay. Good. So. Okay, I'll ask the question like this. I'll ask it right away. Even though it's more relevant later, but I'll ask you the question. Any terminology we use for God, any term we use for God was created by Him, correct? Yeah, any term we use for God was created by God because everything was created by God. Right? Right? Makes sense. How could we use a term that he created to describe, describe him, which is beyond anything he created? Right? Get the question. And then, <laughs> so if we're to say that there's no term we could use 
to define God or to describe God because everything that's in our vocabulary is is already a creation, is already a a, um, a human construct. Then how could we have a relationship with something we don't know? How how is there a possibility to have a relationship with a being that we can't describe? That any description will say is a, is a limitation, right? Any description of God is a limitation, right? But then, if that's the case, so there's no way for us to describe him. If there's no way for us to describe him, how could we relate to him? How could there be any form of relationship with him? I think it goes further than that. I mean, how do you have a relationship with something that you can't see? Okay. Yeah, that's... that's, uh, that's not have a relationship with you because you're in the room and we can interact and we can see you. Okay. Some people have relationships with people. <laughs> that's for sure children do a lot it's very true um, okay how could you have a relationship with something you can't see yeah but anyway that's that's really the question so basically what, what comes out of is that there is God within our frame of reference on the one hand how could God be within our frame of reference because then he's not really infinite and the other, and if he's not in a frame of reference, how could we have a relationship with him? How could we have a connection to him? Okay? So this is something we're going to be dealing with today. All right. But first, let's start from the beginning. So from the beginning, our first perspective on God is creator. If you talk to people who don't think about this much and believe in God, they will say God equals creator. That's what I would assume. Right? In most cases. God is someone who... It created the world and is in, intri- intricately involved with the world. And the one who said that my clicker is not going to work. So, um, so he's the origin of source of everything and he also has active involvement in the world he created. Now here's a, a reading one. Uh, we have a discussion between Rabbi Akiva and a heretic in the Medrash. And we say as follows. The heretic once came to Rabbi Kiva. And here, you could get this for Miriam. A heretic once came to Rabbi Akiva and asked, who created the world? Said Rabbi Akiva, God. Said the man, prove it to me. Said Rabbi Akiva to him, what are you wearing? Said he, a robe. Said Rabbi Akiva, who made it? Said he, the weaver. Said Rabbi Akiva, I do not believe you. Prove it to me. Said he, what is it to prove? Do you not see that it was made by a weaver? It's like, implicit. Said Rabbi Kiva, do you not see that the world was made by God? Indeed, there's a, there's a story, famous story of one of the, I think it was Rabbi Yehuda Levi, um, one of the great sages was having a discussion with a, a king, and the discussion was about the existence of God. And the king would not accept any proofs to the existence of God. As they're sitting there, a, he had a bottle of ink on the table, and uh, the king uh, walked out of the room for a moment. They were sitting there with a big, beautiful window overlooking a, 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 you know, beautiful gardens outside the palace. The king walks out. This rabbi was a very gifted uh, artist, and he took the ink, and he uh, drew a picture 
that was out the window. He was looking out the window. He drew a copy of what was out the window. The king comes back. He sees it. He says, who did this? He says, what do you mean, who did this? So who, who, who painted this? He says, no, I knocked over the ink, and this this happened. He says, what do you, what, do you think, I'm a fool? Couldn't be easy to knock over the ink, and this happened. Well, you're an artist. He says, look, if you think that someone knocked over the ink and this, the real thing happened, then why couldn't it happen here as well? Obviously, it's proof being that if you you take it for you take it as as obvious that if there is a garment, someone weaved it. If there's a painting, someone drew it. Then if there's a, a world, a reality, someone made it. Such an inc- intricate reality, for sure. Someone must have made it. Okay. Um, Eric, do you have the book? Do you have a book yet? Did you get it last week? Okay, come get one. All right. So, indeed, the Torah introduces us to God by saying also, Bereshus Barulakim, God created heaven and earth. So we see again, even from a Torah perspective, the first thing we know about God is that God is the creator and actively sustains life and so on. Um, and indeed, this is how Nachmanides puts it uh, in reading number two. The first mitzvah that we were commanded is to accept the sovereignty of heaven, meaning to believe that there is a God who created all existences, bringing them forth out of absolute nothingness into whatever state of being they are in. And to whatever state of being he desires at any given time, God himself said this to us at Mount Sinai, I am God, your God, who, and implication is, I'm the one who's created you. The Zohar says, you should, in reading three, you shall know that I am God, your God. This command, that they, that's the quote of the first of the Ten Commandments. This commandment is primary to all commandments, to know that there is a supernal ruler who is the master of the world, who created all worlds, the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Okay. Now, so far, straightforward, right? God as creator. And this is how normally people look at God. Comes along the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, and says we cannot limit God to creator. We can't limit God to being the creator, as we see in reading number four. The fact that all the worlds are brought into existence by God and receive their vitality and sustenance from Him, this is not the essence of what God is. Yeah, He's not dependent on being creator. For as we say, you are who you are before the world was created. We say in the, in the prayers, you are who you are before the world was created, and you are who you are after the world was created. Exactly the same. So meaning to say that creation doesn't affect him. If all God is, is creator, then obviously there's a big difference if he creates or doesn't create, before and after he creates. But because God is way beyond creation, creation doesn't define him in any way, therefore he could be exactly the same before and after creation. Whereas we gave the example in the first lesson, you know, um, one and a million compared to infinity is exactly the same. Right? Okay. Um, so what we're saying is that creation is something that God does, not what God is. 
Okay? So before this, so many people would say, what is God? He's creator. That is what he is. No, he creates. Yeah, he does it. But that's not what he is. He's totally beyond that. So what else do we know about God? So, let's see what our thinkers and philosophers in Jewish tradition say about it. So yes, indeed, we said this is we said this from the Alter Rebbe, Hasidic philosophy. But actually, it precedes the idea that God is not just Creator, but much more than that is the perspective of Jewish philosophy, the Rambam, the Ikrim, and so on, the classic Jewish philosophers. So what does the Rambam say about God's existence? So we'll read here a text in the Rambam and then a text in the Ikram. And the basic uh, point that the Rambam is making is that there is no limits or constraints to God's existence. So text number five, the first foundation is belief in the existence of, a crea- of the Creator, blessed be He, namely that there is a being who is perfect in every manner of existence. Only He possesses true unity and mastery. He is utterly self-sufficient and does not require the existence of any other thing, whereas all other existence require Him to in order to exist. Okay? God doesn't need anything in order to be. If there is a creation or not a creation, God is. Everything else in creation is dependent. In the terminology of, of uh, we're going to learn this terminology in the next reading. It's called mechuyev hametzius, mechuyav hametziut, which means um, absolute existence or necessary existence. There's what's called in, in uh, Jewish philosophy. There's two terms. There's necessary existence or possible existence. What's the difference between the two? Possible existence means something that is here because something else wills it to be here or causes it to be here. That means it doesn't have to be. The only reason it has to be is because something else makes it be. Absolute existence means that I am here because I am here. I am not dependent on anything else in order to be here. Okay, so really, I think it'll be understood based on what we're saying now. His existence is exactly the point. All other existence are possible existence. So to be ex- to exist, you need something else to bring you into existence. The whole point of God is from philosophy, philosophical perspective is, Jewish philosophy that is, that he is an existence that doesn't need anything else to bring him into existence. That question does not apply to God. Because that's the kind of existence he has. He exists not because he's dependent on anything. Because something that's dependent on something else is no longer a necessary existence. It is only a possible existence. So in other words, God is inherent. Yeah. Yeah. Let's read it as as it's said by the uh, Kalbo, by the um, Sefer Ekrim, by Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Albo, 
from the first principle, which is the existence of God, extends four roots, which include all the truths that are derived from the fact that God's existence is an absolute existence. That's the point. Absolute existence. These are the divine unity, as we explained in the previous chapter, that God is neither a body nor a bodily force, because a body and bodily force doesn't have to be, that God is timeless, and that God has no deficiencies. Okay, so what are we trying to say here? Um, what does absolute existence mean? It means that it requires nothing outside of itself in order to be. And it's not conditional upon, upon nor defined by anything outside of itself. Okay, Everything else in existence requires something outside of itself in order to be. What do I mean? Take time and space. Take an object or an event that is dependent on space. If you don't have space, it cannot be an object, right? Where do things exist in space? If there's no space, you can't have things. So the, the things are dependent on something else, on space. No, that's not the point we're making. That's not the point we're making. Not because of that. Here we say very simple. It's, it's, this is straightforward. The quantum physics is a little myster- mysterious. Here it's very simple. If I don't have, if there's no space, then this, there's nowhere this bottle could exist. So this bottle depends on something outside of it, which is space. And so do every event. Now, how about ideas well, or um, feelings? Correct, but that's 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 because of its godly connection. But that's but even there, I mean, we'll get to it now. Um, but yeah, that's a proof of something, but it's not important. Sorry. That God is not made up of of parts. He's not a composite. He's absolute oneness. Okay, so let's understand this a little bit, and we'll, we'll, from understanding, we won't understand. Okay, but let's let's go one thing at a time. Um, but what I'm basically trying to say is like this: definition, right? To define something, let's say a concept. Any concept, in order to relate to it, you have to know its boundaries. If it has no boundaries. It's like, let me try to figure right? A concept that has no boundaries, you can't understand, right? You know something by its boundaries. Just like you cannot carry a table that's infinite, because where are you going to pick it up? You cannot get an idea unless it has parameters, right? What is What makes 10 plus 10, uh, 20... Where's 10 times 10, 100? They're, they have definitions. That's interesting. In Hebrew, a definition is Hagbalah. Is hagba, is right? It's Hagbalah. That's the word for definition. And the word for, for, for um, boundary is Gvul. You know any idea is known by its boundaries. If there are no boundaries to something, you cannot get it. Even the Talmud, for example. When you study Talmud, the way the Talmud works is you always take the law that the Talmud tells you is always the boundary. What do you mean the boundary? This is how far the law is going to go. 
in law in general, because otherwise, how do you know what's about if it's a little bit this way, a little bit that way? You don't know the law. So therefore, if it's a, let's say, Supreme Court case, they're dealing with cases, so they don't give you the boundaries of the law. But when you're talking theoretically, they're always, they have to give you the boundaries of the law, because if they give you the middle ground, what happens if it's, it's moving to the right or to the left? You have no clue. So the way you teach ideas is by understanding the boundary of the idea. The boundary of the idea means there's, there's a there's an end to it. If there's an end to it, that means there's a space outside of which it doesn't exist. So there's a place where it doesn't have to be. If God doesn't have boundaries, then, then we can have truly know that. Okay, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. God is means he's, he's undefined. That's the point. means he's absolute. That's why he cannot have any any limitations. He can't be a composite because a composite is already right made up of parts. Means um, it's not the absolute existence. Right, a feeling is love is not awe. and awe is not love. So there's a limit to where, how far it goes. That can't be God. God is infinite, right? God is absolute uh, existence. He's not dependent on anything. Um, So, in a sense, we're saying more. Our knowledge of anything, how do we know anything? By its definitions. By its parameters. By its limitation. So, essentially, we can't really know God. Because he has no definitions, he has no limitations. So all we know of God is that he must be the absolute existence. That's what we're saying so far, right? Yeah, and if he created everything, not just time and space, but definitions himself, then he must be above that. He's beyond that. Because that's something he created. Um, so, and he, God cannot be defined by anything, anything outside of him. Because if he was, then those defining parameters would pre-exist him. Or exist outside of him, which is not possible. Right? Get it? Yes. Uh, God is outside of time and space. Right, correct. And that is why all things are possible with God because of that. Right, that's correct. Now, one of the names of God, um, we have seven names that are not erased that we discussed, uh, mentioned shall we say, in the first week. But there's another name of God that's not one of the seven holy names. Makom. When do we say the name of God, Makom? Anyone know? There are two times that we use it that is, that's quite prevalent. You should know it. One is when we go to a Shiva house. We say, HaMakom Yenachem Etchem. Right? We say we use the term makom for God. God should comfort you. And we use the term makom, which means place, space. The other place that should be famous is in the Haggadah. Baruch HaMakom. 
Baruch Hu. Right? Blessed be Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu. Blessed be the Makom, the place. Why is God called the place? Sorry? No, Mimkom Chad doesn't mean Hamakom. It's Mimkom, from your place. But here, so text number seven says like this. Rav Huna said in the name of Rav Ami, why do we call God by the title Makom? Place. Because God is the place of the world, whereas the world is not the place of God. Okay. God is the place of the world, whereas the world is not the place of God. Which means... What does it mean? That that the world cannot contain God. It's not the place of God. God is the place where everything exists is within Him. Right? Every, all reality is within Him. Um, so there's no reality that serves as a context for God's existence. Do this, right? So God is the context within which all existence resides, and not the other way around, right? No reality serves as the context for God's existence. Okay? So we went God from creator to absolute existence, okay? You with me so far? Yeah? I don't get every... Uh, not everyone is sh- shaking their head here. If you're confused, ask, and we'll try to explain it. God is creator. Obvious. God is absolute existence. He does. He's not defined or limited by anything to exist. Okay, next. Now we're going to go a step further. If God creates everything and everything in our vocabulary, then what I said earlier, then the term existence is also created by God. Just the very term existence is created by God. So when we say absolute existence, ooh, that also might be a little short in how we define them. Because he created existence. Look, look at text number 8. Text number eight is the first two halachot of the Rambam. Okay, this is the first two laws of the Rambam. The Rambam says, the foundation of all foundation, the pillar of all wisdom is to know that there is a primary existence who brought all existence into being. All the beings of the heavens and the earth and what is between them came into existence only from the truth of his existence. Okay, straightforward, right? Because he is mechuyiv is because he is absolute existence, like we said earlier, therefore everything else comes into being. That's what Ramam is saying. Nothing could have existed without him. Now, look at second, the second law. Should it arise in the mind that he is not in existence, no other thing could possibly exist. So what's the Ramam saying? The simple meaning is that it's like the other, the other side of the first law. First law says that because God exists, that's where everything exists. If God wouldn't exist, nothing could exist. But that's like superfluous. It's not necessary to say that. It's obvious. If God is the source of all existence, then certainly if he didn't exist, nothing else could exist. Correct? So the Rebbe takes this at a very deep level. Besides the fact, you could ask the following question. 
Why does the Rambam say this strange term? Should it arise in the mind? What do you mean? What kind of expression is should it arise in the mind? What the Rebbe is saying is that this is actually a higher level, a higher understanding. If it should arise in your mind that God doesn't exist, what does it mean, arise in your mind? Because existence itself is a creation of God. So when you understand things even deeper, you say, God doesn't exist. What does it mean, God doesn't exist? He's not in our reality. He's not in our frame of reference, as we put earlier. We cannot even give him the term existence, because that too is his creation. So that's even a higher way of thinking. Should it arise in your mind that God doesn't exist? And nothing else could have existed. Right? So, a higher level of understanding of this idea is that he's not in existence because he created existence. On that level, no other thing could possibly exist because the concept of existence doesn't exist on this level. So in other words, Hashem has to somehow lower himself to be called existence, thereby he creates existence. But as he is, he's beyond even being able to be called existence. Okay? Get it? So God doesn't choose to create existence um, and, and become primary existence, then what? then no such thing as existence and no existing things would, would, would be, right? So in other words, God as absolute existence is the same as God as, as creator. Just like God chooses to assume um, to be creator, so too God chooses to assume Existence. Oh, correct. That's exactly where we want to go. It seems so far away from us now. Very good. So this is really the question, is God real? We say, is God real? I mean, is he within our reality? Can we know him? Well, based on what we're saying now, it seems not, right? It doesn't seem like we can know him. Um... It doesn't seem he's real, at least not the way we would call reality, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So, um, God created reality, but he's not real. Or at least he can't be defined by that, because he can't be described as something he created. Based on this, as he said, we cannot know God. Um, nothing we could say about God. So, in what sense do we know God? In truth, reading number nine says that. This is a, a, a reading from one of the great philosophers, of, uh, Rabbi Yedaya ben Avram Hapanini, in, in the uh, 13th century. That's 13th century um, great sage. And he says, if I knew him, I would be him. A great philosopher, if I knew him, I'd be him. And I'm not him, so I don't know him. Finished, that's the end of that. So perhaps you could say, we don't need to know God. It's enough that we believe in him. We don't know him, we just believe in him. Um, okay, so, um, and if that's the case, 
God's beyond their ability to understand. Is God real? No. End the lesson. Nothing else to talk about. What, what's God? Okay, something we, be, we believe in a concept called God. How do we define it? We have no definition. Any definition would, would limit him. We can't define it. We know there's something that's called God. And he is the source of everything that exists. But nothing that exists defines him in any way. That would be the end of that. Yes? Because everything that exists only exists in language. And you wouldn't probably be able to create an appropriate word to describe God. Right. So we wouldn't have any word to describe God. We wouldn't understand. That's what we're saying. Not only in language, but in general. He's, we can't even call him existence. Existence is something he creates. So then what is he? We don't know. Beyond maths, beyond logic. Exactly. Even logic. Exactly. Logic <laughs> is something he created. So he's even beyond logic. So we say belief, that's all. But is that true within Judaism? The answer is no. The answer is, from many Jewish sources, we cannot end here. Okay? We can't end here. We must go much further than this. Why? How do we go much further than this? First of all, the Torah tells us it's important to know God. Um, when we say Shema Yisrael, what do we mean? What's Shema mean? Shema Yisrael means listen. What does listen mean? To understand. <coughs> so listen means comprehend. Comprehend. How do you comprehend? We just said we can't comprehend. Now, when we have the mitzvah of I am God, your God, which is the first of the Ten Commandments. First of the Ten Commandments is I am God, your God. What does that mean? What's I, I am God, your God? It's the statement of belief that sets up the other commandments. It's, okay, very good. But it's, it's, it's the mitzvah of... Belief in God is what we say. Believing in only one God. Believe, believing in God, yeah. Believing in one God. Don't so text, one God is really a Shema. Sorry? True, but here's my question. Can you be commanded to believe in God? And I have two questions on that. Number one, if I believe, I believe. I don't believe, I don't believe. How do you command me to believe? Can't command to believe. Believe in UFOs. Okay, I'll believe in UFOs. <laughs> I either believe it or don't believe it. True, but you cannot be commanded to believe. If if you if I don't believe, how is your command to believe going to help me? Okay, but I'm saying is, how do you command me to believe if I don't believe? Uh, the question, the second point is even better than that. Who is commanding me to believe? If I'm not believing, who's commanding me to believe? So the, a commandment presupposes a commander. Who's the commander that's commanding me to believe if I don't believe in him yet? If I have to wait till the commandment to believe in him, who, who's commanding me? Yourself. No, but it's a commandment from God. How could God command me to believe if, if I if if I don't believe in Him? So who's believe? Who's commanding me? Therefore, the Chinuch says as follows: 
that what's this first commandment? Leida. To know and to believe that there's a God. Not to, to know. What do you mean to know? To understand. Intellectually. Yeah. That's the that's not but it's not belief, that's logic also. But that's knowing that God exists. Knowing, not believing. Okay. That's exactly the point. What we're saying is the God that we're believing in is commanding us to know him, meaning intellectually. How we don't know yet. But we know that we cannot stop at where we were before to say, Okay, we just believe in something that's beyond us. No, we have to actually know him, we have to actually understand him. That we see part of Judaism. It's the first commandment of Judaism to know God. That's a good question. It's a good question, but unnecessary for today's lesson. No, it's it's a good question, but unnecessary for today. Um, I just don't want to go off track. Not only this. The pinnacle of human destiny is to know God. Maimonides says, and we just learned the first talacha, the last law of 14 books of Maimonides is what's going to be when Mashiach comes. And what Maimonides says is as follows. He says there'll be prosperity and harmony and peace and so on and so forth. And then he says, he concludes, the occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. What are we going to be doing when Mashiach comes? The, our only thing of the uh, t- occupation of the entire world, which means Jews and Gentiles, to know God. So this idea of knowing God is actually very central and very important. Based on what we said till now, how does that make sense? All we can do is believe in God, it would seem. Now, why is it important to know God? Why is belief not sufficient? Because... It's a very important point. Important point is this. Belief could remain abstract. And if something is abstract, it doesn't affect your life. Here's a Hasidic teaching on this. Okay, the Talmud says, and I've quoted this, and many of you have heard it in the Shi'ur, text number 11, the thief at the entrance of his tunnel calls out to God. Okay? That a guy is going out to steal. He's telling you a reality. A person is going to steal, says the Talmud. He's crawling into the house, and he's afraid. He might get caught. Who does? Someone will be on the other side. Might hurt him, might catch him. He calls out, God, make me successful. So this guy believes in God. But he know, so if you believe in God, don't you know that God, and not only believes in God, he believes that God could help him in, 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 his, in what he's doing. So if you believe that God could help you in what you're doing, why don't you ask God to give you an honest living, to help you in honest living? Why are you asking God to do, do something, to help you in something that he told you not to do? It makes no sense, you would think. But if you dig into it, as we did in the other morning, we can see that we're all guilty of this in a subtle way as well. That we believe in God, and at the very same time, kind of act contrary to what He wants of us. And want His help. 
in doing something that is not consistent with his wishes. That's the way we are. How? What, so let's not go into the... It's a very interesting topic in itself. We discussed it in one of our Shabbos morning shirim. But right now, the point, that, the, the important point is, how is this possible? Why, why, how does it work? Because we have to understand what faith is, what belief is. Belief is abstract. It doesn't affect us so much. It's like a dreamlike state. Just like in a dream, you can have opposites. So too, with faith, you could also have opposites. You could believe in God and act contrary to Him at the same time. That's the drawback, that's the negative of faith. Faith without knowledge, that is. Um, on the other hand, when you have reason, then it makes it closer to you. When it's something that you understand logically, then you're moved to conduct your life practically in concert, consistent with what you understood. Right? It's a much closer relationship when you understand something fully, then your relationship is much closer. So here is what we have in text number 12, the way the Shalach Kaddish puts it. says, know today and bring into your heart that God is the God from Deuteronomy, right? That is to say, know God with an in-depth knowledge. Meaning to say, in addition to the faith established in your heart by your fathers, by the tradition handed down through the generations, you should also know by yourself, by means of your own understanding. This is also the illusion in the verse, in the Song of the Sea. This is my God, and shall ha- I shall beautify him, the God of my fathers, and I shall exalt him. This is to say, when he is my God, due to my knowledge and understanding, then vanveu, I shall beautify him, which can also be read as a combination of the words anivahu, I and he, meaning I and he are bounded together so to speak, because my knowledge of God is internalized in my heart. However, when I do not possess a knowledge of God that is product of my understanding and only have the tradition that He is the God of my fathers, in you know, a faith, then I shall exalt Him. God remains aloof and elevated from me, and I am distant from Him in the inner recesses of my heart. You get it? You get what we're saying? If it's something abstract, if it's something abstract, then you have then you, that this is why you have cognitive dissonance. You, you believe in something, but because you don't fully understand it, doesn't trans doesn't translate into real life. But when you fully understand it, it translates into your real life. This is one of the great Hasidic masters went off against his father-in-law's uh, um, father-in-law's unhappy. To study Hasidic Hasidus at the at the uh, Magid of Mezrich. After a while, he came home. His father asked him, "Nu, what did you learn?" He says, "I learned that there's a God." He says, "Well, there's a God." He calls him the, the the girl he had a, who was helping at home and says, "Do you know that there's a God?" "Of course, I know there's a God." "Is there a God?" She says, "Yes." So she, so the, he says, "Nu, anyone knows there's a God?" He says, "Yeah." She says, "I know." In other words, he studied, he learned it until it became one with him. That's what he gained in his studies. So, 
That's one reason why we need. So why do we need knowledge of God? Why do we have to have an understanding? Because when we have an understanding, it makes it real and it affects our life. Whereas if it's only a belief, it's abstract and is this, it, it, it could very well not impact our day-to-day life. And that philosophy doesn't just apply to Judaism. I mean, the reality is it's the, the yeah. Because Christianity uh, believes that, that they know God and the Muslims believe they know God. Right. Because they all believe they fully understand God and know Him. They do crazy things. They don't know Him. They think they do. That's my point. The Muslims really believe that if they, you know... No, they believe in God. Right, Yeah. Okay, maybe. All right, let's, it's, it's, it's off topic. We're not talking comparative religions today. I'm just saying, you know, humanity in general is searching for the same thing, which is to know God. Okay. That's my point. I don't know how they know, but uh, in, in what way they, they, they get to the process. Belief is another thing. That's what I'm saying. Belief doesn't really affect your actions necessarily. You can believe you know without actually knowing. You can just believe you know. Well, knowing means the act of understanding and logic and, and just being able to prove it and understand it in your mind. Okay, now is another reason why we need to know God. And the another reason why we need to know God is because there's a mitzvah to love God. And the only way to love God is having a knowledge of God, understanding of God, as we see here in text number 13. We have the mitzvah of Shema, right? Um, okay, this right. So, King, so- King uh, David, here it is. No, before that. 13. So the Maggot of Mezich explained the verse, you shall love God your God. Love is a feeling in the heart. So how can it be commanded? Love him. How do you love him? I don't love. No. How do you command someone to love? You command someone to do. Pick this up and put it here. Okay. Love. I don't love. No. You can't force love. You can't command love. So what does it mean God tells us, love God. If I don't love God, I don't. What are you going to do? So, one who loves God loves, but what shall one do if this love is not embedded in the heart, God forbid? How can the Torah say in the manner of a command, you shall love as if the person has a choice in the matter? But the commandment is regarding the contemplation described in the preceding verse. Hear, O Israel, God of God is God is one. The Hebrew word Shema here means understand. This is why it says you shall love as an imperative. And the commandment is to contemplate and understand. The meaning of you shall love can also be understood as a promise. You will come to love God when you preface it with the understanding contemplation of hero Israel. If you're going to learn about God, if you're going to understand God, that's how you come to love God. And the truth is, it's not only true about God, it's true about people as well. We have a command to love our fellow as ourselves. How do you do that? By contemplating positive things about them. There are close people in our lives that we really should love, right? A spouse is someone you have to love. How do you, in times a person might fall out of love, how do you strengthen your love? Thinking about positive things about them, exactly. When you use your mind to concentrate only on their positive, everyone has negatives. So what's going to cause you to love or not to love? If you're going to concentrate on the positives, you'll come to love. If you concentrate on the negatives, you won't. 
So it's just train yourself with important people in your life to only think about and to concentrate and to not just know, but to meditate on, which means to contemplate, to think about their positive qualities. And that's how you come to feeling of love. Sorry? No, it's going to happen. It's absolutely the way it works. If you're going to concentrate only on the positives, and everyone has wonderful positive traits, you're going to come to feeling of love for them. If you focus that your attention in that way. And even with regards to God. If you're going to contemplate and think about God, the oneness and unity of God and so on, which we don't know yet because we can't we don't know how we, we get there yet. We haven't learned it yet today, tonight. You will come to love God. But we see from here how important it is to know God and how important it is to bring God closer to us. As Miriam's question was earlier, right? In the contrary, you bring him, you make him so far from you. So distant. No, we need him close because by knowledge of God, only that way does 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 um, does the, what he wants of us affect our life. And also, only by knowledge of God can we have love for God. Indeed, this is what King Solomon, King David tells King Solomon. We in in uh, reading number twelve, he quoted. Um, Know the God of your fathers. The rest of the verses is number 14. Know the God of your fathers and serve Him with a whole heart and desirous soul. Because only when you know the God of your fathers will you have a, a, uh, a whole heart and desirous soul in your service of Him. Doesn't that point to something God having the attribute of being able to love? Sorry? God can love as well. But that's that not... Means, that means he's, he's something like us, you know why? Because we can love, he can also love. Yeah, but that's, let's not go off topic. Let's not get... We have a very deep, difficult lesson to get through. Let's not deal with issues that are not directly connected to the lesson, okay? Um, so, what do we... So if you come... The paradox. So we have a paradox here. If God has no intelligible definition, how can we have a relationship with Him? Right? Till now, so we have to have a relationship with Him. We have to love Him. I mean, love is a relationship, right? So it has to be a closeness. But there's no closeness. I can't even call them existence in its truest form. How does this work? Okay. You with me? It's clear. It is for Cedric, okay. Um, so let's go to this question. No, no, you're good, good. I'm glad. I just want to know if anyone else does. <laughs> okay, so to understand this, let's go back to another point. We call God infinite, right? Infinite. Infinite is also definition. It means not finite. So that's also definition. Look at text number 15. From a Kabbalist, um, Rabbi Meir Ibn Gabai. 15th, 16th century Kabbalist. No, 15th century. So he says, just as God has the power of infinity, so does he have the power of uh, finiteness. For should you say that he has the power of infinity but does not have the power of finiteness, you would be detracting from his perfection. He's saying God is is absolute perfection. 
and he's infinite. <coughs> and he's limited to infinity and not finiteness, you're limiting him. No, it's not God. It's something above him. Can't be. Can't be anything One. above God. Infinite oneness. All inclusive. Is there room for, to say that? It's like saying, could God make himself not exist? Or the what, traditional way of asking the question. I'm not going to deal with this. Can God make a rock that he can't carry? That's, that's what you're asking. Oh, how do we know? How do we know we have to have a close relationship with God because of the Torah? Right. We could have stopped that belief in God, and belief in something that's beyond us that's, that doesn't even have, we can't even say the term existence. Why does he need us? Why does he need us all together? We'll get to that. That's where we're running. We're getting to the end of the lesson. Yeah. So what? Relationships between people are all about, you know, you've got something I want, I've got something you want, and then we become friends. Okay. That's ultimately, I mean, there's no relationship which is just give, it's give and take. So, you know, he's he's put us in this world and and we want something. Okay. Let's, 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 let's work this through. Okay, let's, 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 um, Let's not get off topic here. Let's not get off topic. The the essence of what you're saying we'll get to. Okay. Anyway, it's that's good, but it's it's. It's not the top. It doesn't. It's not necessary for the topic to understand what we're talking about today. Um, okay. So. No, you're right, but I'd say it's not important for the topic today. Right. The reason you're here. Who, without whom you wouldn't exist. Okay, right. But we don't know what that thing you're loving is. It's very hard to relate to something you can't define. That's the question we're asking. We have no definition of him yet, right? We're saying we should have a relationship with him, we should love him, but we don't know. We don't know how how we could do that yet. He's God defined by his commandments. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean defined by his commandments? How is that? No, his commandments something he commanded. We would think logically, from based on what we said till now. He is undefined in any definition. Even in the terminology, we can't even call him existence. Therefore, how do we relate to him? We haven't answered that question. What we do know is that we have to relate to him, but we don't know how. That's where we're at. Okay, now. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, but why? Why would the mitzvahs be a, 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 a way of us being able to relate to him if he's so beyond? That is true, but but how? We didn't explain how. Through through his character and the okay. Ten Commandments. Okay. Once, let's try to don't try to guess. Let's try to figure. Let's uh, let's let's take this one step at a time. Okay. 
Um, so let's move along. So when we speak about God as infinite, right, we're saying that no limitations whatsoever in where and how he could express himself. If God chooses to make himself knowable to the human mind, he can obviously do so. By saying no, that he can't do so, with his saying that he's X, not Y, and he can't say that. Right? So God is able to have a relationship with us. Now, how does God make himself known to the human mind? That's what we're trying to talk about. And here we have the principle in Kabbalah and Hasidus of Tzimtzum. Okay? So we're going to explain this idea of tzim, the construct of Tzimtzum, um, which is constriction, and the Ten Sfirat, which is divine attributes. But let's first do a few short quotes. 17. These quotes seem to contradict everything we've said till now. 17. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So... What image? Any image? What physical image? How about spiritual? God? How can we have an image of God? What image? Okay, um, that's a good question, but that we're not going to answer today. That's another good question. No, the angels is what we say, but anyway, it's not. That's that's a good question, not not to be answered today. But the very question of how could we talk about an image of God? Let's say, let, let's let's continue. Again, we don't want to get confused here. Number eighteen: As the soul fills the body, so does God fill His world. Again, what do you mean God fills the world? I thought we said God is the place of the world, not the world God's place. We say God fills the world. It seems like like a soul fills a body. You have a body, and and limited to the body is where the soul comes in. So you say limited to the world where God comes in. One second, how does that work? Again, it's, it's contrary to what we've said till now. Next one. In the Talmud says, with regards to the first word of the Ten Commandments, Anoichi. The word Anoichi, I am, the first word of the Ten Commandments, is an acronym for I have written and given myself. So here again, um, Torah is made up of words, right? And instructions of mitzvahs. They're finite, it seems like finite mediums. God is infinite. How do we create that bridge? Okay. So here's where we come to the um, the answer to these questions. Right? So we say, have, does God have a likeness? How does the Son of God fill the world? And can God be written? All right. Now, we said earlier that there's a God's power of infinity and there's God's power of finiteness. So let's explain this. So, what do you see? Very good. White space. Okay? White space. So, white space, the blank white sheet of paper. Now imagine the following. We took another piece of paper that's black, all black. If we took the black piece of paper on this white piece of paper, it would conceal the white paper completely. But what's if we cut out the word things? Okay, we'll put on the word things 
like you have in your book, things on the black paper. And then you put the black paper on the white paper. So what would it say? Things. Okay. So here's the question. In this white piece of paper, in the white piece of paper, does it say things? It doesn't yeah. Sorry, you say no. He's, uh, Darren says no. no. Who's, you say yes, and you say yes. Sorry. But it's not. You didn't use a marker to write things. All you did is cut out the word things in the black piece of paper and put it onto the white piece of paper. And now the white piece of paper is saying things. But it's... Sorry? It doesn't say things in the white piece of paper? But if you put the black piece of paper, it does say things. <laughs> the answer is both are right. Okay? Both are right. So, one second. In, okay, those who said it's there, it's there in exactly the same place that it's there later when you put the black piece of paper. It just wasn't revealed until you put the black piece of paper on it. But it was there all the time. Um, so we showed where the word things are all along. Right? Those who say it's not there, they're right too. Because there's nothing there, right? It's only a white piece of paper. Blank white space is not a word. So in order for the word to exist, its shape needs to be defined. Which is what we did with the black piece of paper, right? Put it on top. Blocking off everything except for the forms of the six letters that spell the word things. Let's let's not go off. Let's first understand this example. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be too confusing. Okay, um, so. The first figure, the white piece of paper, had the word things in it in the same way it had every other word of the English language or, frankly, from any language, right? The white piece of paper had the potential for everything. And it contained an infinite number of possibilities. But it didn't contain them any, any of them in a meaningful way. But when we isolated one finite form from the infinite number of other possible forms, then we got the actual word with real meaning. Okay? So, this is the analogy for God's power of infinity and power of finiteness. It's a simplified analogy, but this is the analogy. It gives us a handle you know, 
to, to understand the two divine powers. The white sheet is God's power of infinity. The black sheet is the power of finiteness. So we said, if God's going to be truly infinite, he has to possess the power of finiteness. Right? If God's going to be truly infinite, he has to possess the power of finiteness. We said this earlier. So this is what we call... So you have the infinite power of God and then he emanates from himself ten svirat. What does it mean he emanates from himself ten svirat? He puts a definition like a blank piece of paper on himself and then the ten svirat come about. These ten svirat, these ten powers, are they anything but God? Are they anything but God? But God's essence? You have the white sheet of paper, you put the black sheet on top, yeah. right? The the word things now that we see, is it on the white sheet of paper or the black sheet of paper? It's on the white sheet of paper. It was defined by the black sheet. But it's the white sheet that's that's coming forth as word things, correct? So you, you're basically saying finite world, the finite world is effectively a, a mechanism to filter God's... Yeah. I was saying that God's infinite essence comes in a way of finiteness. Because He, with the, through the power of Tzimtzum, contraction, which we'll soon see, we'll read, have a reading on it, through the power of Tzimtzum, He allows, He kind of defines His essence. He's God, He's all capable, He can do that. He defines His essence to be able to express itself Infinite svirat to be called wise or kind, and so on. So it starts first. It starts first with with us, and then from us to the rest. Everything in this world has the ten svirat in it. Everything in this world is made by the DNA of the ten svirat. And the ten svirat are nothing less, are nothing, are, what are the ten svirat? They're the black piece of paper and the white piece of paper. So it's not something else. It's part of his infinity. Part of his infinity has a finite power. <coughs> Just like the, the, the white piece of paper is the power of infinity. You put the black on top of it and all of a sudden it's finite. But it's really the white piece of paper that's the finite. That's not finite. Underlying is really infinity. When you say everything has tensor, are we talking about the same original tensor? No, it, it again. It, it now it has to. The, um, this, this concept of symptom has to continue many levels. So there's a uh, contraction and another. So in its original form, 
in what we call the world of Atzilut, the highest world, the highest realm, you see godliness exudes from the from from these characteristics that we see in Figure three point three, right? Or I put it on here. So you see the you see it's a godly understanding. You see it's godly wisdom and godly love and godly awe and so on. You see the godliness of it. As it comes further and further down into lower and lower realms, you don't notice it. But that doesn't mean it's still not it. It's still the black piece of paper on the white piece of paper. Everything in physicality is an ex- expression of God. There's nothing outside of God. No, different levels of contraction, but still, the very essence is the same. Like, we use an example of a light, right, that can go through one, one curtain or two curtains or three curtains. So the light's going to dissipate the more curtains. Then you have colored curtains. So it takes on certain colors because the curtains are, but the light's not colored. The light's still the same light. You see it as colored, right? So you have simple light going through colored glass. What happens to the light that goes through colored glass? It gets a color. But is it a real color? It's not real colored on the light. The light is simple. You're seeing it because it's going through the colored glass. That's the idea of Simpson there, okay? So the infinity of God, by the act of Simpson, now comes through a, a fil- so to speak, this filter. That create that brings it brings about the finiteness, but this finiteness is part of the infinity. Because we said, why do we say yes, finite? Because he's so infinite, he must have the power of fi- uh, 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 to be finite as well. So the finite is also part of the infinite. So this is what we. Let me read this now. Um, in the, um, the teaching of the Arizal, which is the greatest Kabbalist, text number 20. So he says like this. You'll see the ideas we spoke about here. Know that before the, before the emanated divine attributes were emanated and the creations were created, a simple divine light filled the entirety of existence. White paper. This is what is called the infinite light. When it arose in God's simple will, the desire to create the worlds, he contracted his infinite self. He contracted the light. This is light. Now he's contracting the light. Um, Withdrawing it to the sides and leaving a void and an empty space in its center. So he draws the light, leaves an empty space in the center. He then drew forth from the infinite light a single straight line from a circle of light from the top downward, evolving as it descended into the empty space. And within that empty space, he emanated, created, formed, and made all the worlds. You don't understand everything in this this, uh, reading. Quite a, a dense Kabbalistic reading. But we do see this idea, right? You have this light. He contracts the light. Creating this empty space, which is like the black piece of paper. 
Now, in that empty space, which is so-called empty space, he shines. A, what it's, so what it, what it means is empty space follows. In the in the infinite light, there was the possibility for finite, finiteness, right? So, in God's infinite light, He has the power of the finite as well. When He contracts the light, what remains is the power of the finite. Because he contracts the infinite. He leaves a space, which is the power of the finite. Then he shines a, a, a what's called a line, which is the ten rot, into the space. And that's the stuff with which he creates the world. Creates all reality. So now, Let's give you this. Let's do this analogy. The five books of Moses begin with the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but it does not clarify how it was possible for time and space or the diverse forms of existence, or even the matter of matter itself to come into existence, when all that originally existed was God alone. So how did the beginning begin? We asked renowned teacher of Hasidus, Mrs. Shimona Tsukernik, to address this. How did the beginning begin? The mystics tell us through a process called simsum, translated as contraction. But what does that mean? God contracted himself in order to create the world. A useful analogy is speech. All speech, physiologically, conceptually, emotionally, requires contraction or a withholding or hiding. I can breathe. There's no obstruction of the air between my lungs and the outside world. But in speech, there is an obstruction, vibration with a vowel, oh, ah, and an actual blockage with a consonant, b, g, d. More than the physiological contraction that facilitates and allows for speech is a conceptual and emotional contraction. I have to tell you only this idea, and only in this way. I have to share with you only this emotion and not that emotion. I can later, but right now, I am transmitting this. In order to transmit this, I have to hide or withhold all of that. And that is an analogy of Simpson. In order for God to create the world, he didn't do it the way we make something. He did it by withholding. It's not like God made a new entity that was outside of him. God simply hid all the aspects of his being of that source so that the world could emerge. So God didn't create anything in the sense of making something new. God allowed something to emerge 
by hiding every other aspect of his being. Get it? So why does God do that? God could have created and just create something new. But then he would have no relationship with us. If God was a creation, creator, God is all capable, right? So if he wanted, he could have done that. But then nothing would bridge the gap between creator and created beings. I created something new, finished, you exist. Now, how do we get to the creator of it? I don't, I can't. Good, good question. Good question. Exactly. That is true. Why he wanted it, we don't fully understand. But to us, wow, we're part of him. Think about that. Think about what this says about practically. That means we are part of his essence, infinite being. Now, what does that say about us and our power and our ability and our meaning and our purpose? And the other thing that's amazing by what we just said is every mitzvah we do is his will. The will of the infinite. Even though it's a it's a fraction, you know, it's a it's a limited mitzvah. Every mitzvah has has these definitions, right? Defines it. What 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 is the mitzvah or not? It has these words, letters, for example, in the mezuzah or tefillah or sefer Torah, and everything. Just there's a limitation for every mitzvah, but God compresses himself, so to speak, allows himself to be expressed in that mitzvah. So when we do it, we form a relationship with the essence of it all. Because within that mitzvah is him. That's the amazing thing. We're not discussing it now tonight. Good question. Um, Yalaladas, I don't think so. That's a, a next level. Um, so God invested of Himself into our reality, which means God made Himself real. We asked the question, "Is God real?" And we we said earlier, "No," but now we're saying, "Yes." Right? Based on this, God is real. He didn't just create existence; He projected His utterly undefinable non-existence in the guise of an absolute existence. But effectively everything he's created through contracting um, to reveal himself is him. So we are all him. We are an expression of... Okay, so again, those words, things, things on the white paper. Is it the white paper? Does it define the white paper? No, it's nothing but the white paper. It's nothing but, but it isn't it. The white paper is infinite possibilities. Right? But it's nothing outside of it. Well, that's exactly... Exactly. Exactly. So he first articulates these characteristics in himself and then made us as an analog of these characteristics. 
So first we have these characteristics as the godly svirot, and then we are the analog of godly svirot. So now we can contemplate God's creations and the workings of our own psyche and come to know the divine self that he invested in creation. And that's why the verse in 21 says, from my flesh I perceive God. Why? Because he created us as the expression of those word things. Right? The ten sefirot he put into us. Our souls are manifestation of those ten attributes. I, I, all everything comes from the white paper. As, aspect of a soul that is the very essence. Yes, that's why we're called literally a part of Hashem. So you're asking the difference in Adam's soul and Adam's body. Because yeah. Adam's soul is, is blown into his, his nostrils mm. and Adam's body is, is formed, it would seem. So the, the, the basic principle is what is more revealed part of God and less revealed. So the soul is much more revealed part of the dimension of godliness versus the body. But it's not that the body is also not. The truth it is, it is, and we might actually get to that later in the course. The next verse, 22, know him in all your ways. This allows us to know God in all your ways. That's exactly right. Now we're able to know him. Um, so all of our characteristics exist within God in an infinitely higher, more elevated form. We exist in the parameters of time and space. God embodies absolute existence. Our love is flawed and a motivator for action. God's love is unequivocal and all-sustaining. But we have at least an inkling and a starting point to understanding God. By his relationship with our existence. So, why, this is why the Torah uses human terms for God. King, shepherd, friend, so on. Isn't it small-minded to talk about God in these terms? So, um, so how do we assume anything from our little world applies to God? But it's, the truth is... That it's th- that's the other way around. We're not taking things from our world and applying it to God. Rather, these realities originate in the divine reality. And that's why we have it in our reality. Of course, in a more abstract form, more infinitely more abstra- lofty and abstract. Um, and the reason a part of our reality is because God made our reality as a reflection of himself or of the reality that he imparted to himself which is a ten sphere so we have a principle or we have a song I mean a prayer one of the famous prayers that we have in, in the shul 
Adon Olam. Everyone knows Adon Olam, right? So, this, this idea that we just said is embedded in Adon Olam. Because what Adon Olam has is the deepest truths of how Judaism understands God. There's two parts to it. So let's, let's read it. Read Adon Olam. Tell me where the first part ends and the second part begins. And then, what is the message of the first part? What's the message of the second part? Take a look. Read it. Text number 23. Yes. Where does that? Where does it end? Where's the first half end? Very good. Perfect. Yes, he's timeless. He's infinite, right? His truth transcends his role as creator, right? As we said, begins, master of the world who reigned before any creature was created. He's beyond creation. He's beyond all parameters and characterizations. He was, is, shall, right? Nothing compares to him. Nothing. It's like the first part of this lesson. Then we go and say, He's my God, my living Redeemer, my Rock. He's intimately involved with me. So take this away. Meditate on the Adon Alam when you say it every day or Shabbos or whatever. What this teaches us is that we can have an intimate relationship with God. The time to... to uh, um, make this happen most is through prayer. But we, we, we dealt with a lot of dense stuff tonight, really. But you have to now contemplate it. Contemplate on what we thought. Contemplate on ideas we learned. Best time to do it is during prayer. And you'll see in the Shema. You know, think about the things we said. Shema, one is unity of God to understand God in order to love Him, but how could we have a relationship with Him? We have a relationship because He chose to have a relationship with us. And not just chose to have a relationship with us, He chose us to be an expression of Himself. Think about that. That's empowering. On the other hand, you think about the fact that God contracted, so to speak, of himself in order to bring us into existence so that we should contract ourselves to leave room for another. To, to not do what we want to do, but we should do. What we need to do. Right? We're challenged by, oh, I'd rather do this. But we know we should be doing something else. So just like, so to speak, God contracts himself to bring us into existence, so too should we contract ourselves to do what's right. Let us take these ideas to view ourselves at a much greater level. That we're here for a mission and a purpose and that's an infinite power. That we're not just not important. Right? If we look at God as infinite and we're just these finite beings that have no relationship with Him, then who cares? But no! 
we're an extension of him, so therefore we're important. And just like as we're important, the next person is important too. That they too have that soul. And so therefore we have to treat them as such. That's the takeaways from these these ideas. So the, quite, as I say, these, these ideas are, you know, they, they challenge the way you thought till now, that's for sure. Um, but it's quite empowering. Until someone gets sick. Until someone gets sick. But ultimately, that what I'm saying is it comes from us. No, but it not, so rather than the other way around, where uh, you know God wants a relationship with us. But we explained that it's not like that. How do we get it from the Torah? So we have to prove the existence of Torah. That's not for today's topic, but um, we get this from Torah. It makes sense in terms of a philosophical perspective because, okay, you could go start, you could start, I mean, how does the world exist? There has to be a creator. I'll tell you, there's a Prager U, okay? Prager University. has these little five-minute uh, YouTube clips. Put in God, creation, he has a number of scientists who explain the, the how 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 not believing in in a in a creator is makes a lot less sense than believing in one. The probabilities of the universe and the world existing without a creator are far are make make scientifically make far less sense. Okay, so so if you want to start there, you start there. But then you talk about creator. So, if you're talking from a perspective of logic, and it's talking from a perspective of philosophy, once you say there's a creator, this creator has to be perfect. Because the creator is one that doesn't need a creator, right? So, he's absolute existence. So, we must come to the level that he's absolute existence. But then, we say if he's absolute existence, but existence also is a creation. Now we come to a state that there's a creator who created all this. We have no clue why. And it would seem to be that we have no connection to him. It's a vast gulf. All we could say is we believe in something, but because we can't define it, we don't even know what to say, what do we believe in? We can't call him existence, even that is a creation. So there's no relationship. But from there, what we say is, hold on, we know that he gave us a Torah. Exactly. The ants. So logically, we come to that point, right? That he's beyond all existence. They can't even call him existence. But then, from there, we get to the point of. So that there's a vast gulf. From a philosophical perspective, you're coming to a vast gulf. Now you're saying, okay, what has he communicated to us? 
He's communicated the Torah to us. Okay, so you want to talk about how do we know the Torah is true? That's another discussion. So he communicates it to us. And in that, he's told us, I want a close relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to understand me. I want you to feel me. So how do you marry the two? He's infinite beyond anything. Yet, yet, yet he wants a relationship with me. How does that work? So we start by saying, okay, when we say infinite, that means he has the power of finite too. Because if you're going to say he's only infinite, you're limiting him to the world of infinity. That too is a limitation. So that's what Kabbalah says. You're limiting him in the world of, limit, of, of infinity. You can't limit him in the world of infinity. He's, he, he has the power in finite as well. This power in finite is power part of his infinity. The power in the finite is part of his infinity. Like the word things on the white paper. It's part of his infinity. And that is what is expressed in our, in, in first the tenth Sirot. Ten emanations from God, and ultimately from there in our very existence, and that's why we could have a close relationship with Him. That's the summary of today's lesson. So do we have a list of